0: are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. you were sick, very noticeably sick. Perhaps you had a shortness of breath and a lack of energy. But when you went to see your doctor, they had no idea what you had. What if this sickness caused you to go to the hospital more than once? How would you feel? Would you be scared? Would you be annoyed? These are questions that I have for our guest today who went through this very situation, that of an undiagnosed lung disease. And just so we're clear, when I say undiagnosed lung disease, that doesn't mean that she's in the process of getting a diagnosis. Doctors just have no idea what she has. As I'm sure you know by now, if you've listened to our show before, my name is Jacob Sperling and I am the host of the Unsung Lung Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today to learn a little more about lung health and how, in some cases, even the experts in this field can still be baffled. For the last time this season, I'll just remind you that Tackle Radon Season 4 has now wrapped up and I would like to thank everyone involved with this wonderful program. Although the campaign is over, if you haven't purchased a kit to test your home for radon, you still can. Please visit ablung.ca forward slash radon to learn more about this radioactive gas and buy your test kit there. Okay, so now back to today's show. Our guest on this episode is Kirsten Merle. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Kirsten has an undiagnosed lung disease. Thankfully, she is in remission now, but when her health issues were at their peak, things were certainly not easy. She was in and out of emergency four times and doctors just could not figure out what was wrong with her lungs. Finally, she was admitted into hospital to see a lung specialist when her oxygen levels were at 85%. While this may have seemed like somewhat of a victory on the surface, what followed was six weeks of running tests, tests, plural, and a biopsy. Today, I'll be asking Kirsten about navigating Alberta's healthcare system, the side effects rising out of all the medications that she was on, and her eventual recovery. I am so excited to get to share this interview with you, so without further ado, let's get into my chat with Kirsten. Okay, well, I am very much looking forward to getting into this conversation today, and I would like to welcome you, Kirsten, onto the Unsung Lung Podcast. How's it going?
1: Good. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. I am so excited. I feel like we haven't had someone with a, a lung condition on in a while. I've just talked to talked to experts in the field, quote unquote, so it's, it's better to get back to the roots and talk to someone who actually deals with this, dealt with it on a personal level. So thank you for being here.
1: Mm -hmm. of course thank you
0: yeah so on to I guess the first question we might as well dive well before we dive into the nitty-gritty of hospital visits and medication side effects I'm wondering if you can give our listeners a little bit of a background into your lung condition so in the intro of this episode I let our listeners know that you have an undiagnosed lung condition disease I should say or however you like to put it so maybe you can dive into that and let uh, us know where that whole ordeal started.
1: Sure. Um, well, it was the summer of 2015. And I had actually um, looking back, I recognize that the first symptom was actually I was in Vegas at the time. And I remember I had dropped something in the hotel room and I, I bent over to pick it up. And when I, you know, righted myself, it was like the wind was knocked out of me. Like I, I couldn't catch my breath. And once I returned back uh, home, at the time I was working at an office building where I, I climbed a couple of flights of stairs to get to my office and I would walk up the stairs and I would just be so out of breath and also so lethargic, no energy. I would, you know, put in my eight hours and I would come home and I would just be getting into bed. So I wasn't able to get in to see my regular GP. So I went into the walk-in clinic at my doctor's office. Um, the doctor there, you know, said, well, maybe you have a nasal infection, you know, sent me home with a nasal rinse. I do remember saying that this is not a nasal infection, um, but that's uh, sort of where I was left. The conditions worsened, went back again to the walk-in clinic. This time I saw a second Uh, different doctor they said well let's uh, send you for uh, a chest x-ray so went for the chest x-ray and um, I believe the correct term is the radiologist afterwards came in and said to me you need to immediately go see your GP and that's how it all began yeah
0: that's crazy. That I, uh, I guess we'll get into that afterwards and we can keep talking about it. But that's kind of scary. If you hear that from a radiologist, you like, elaborate a little, but we could talk about that in a bit when we get more deep sure. into it. So I guess after experiencing that shortness of breath and a lack of energy, you finally, I guess we're jumping ahead a bit, but you finally were admitted to hospital after visiting your GP. So I guess you can talk about that first, but sure. you, you were there for six weeks. So I guess, were you expecting to be there for that yeah. long?
1: no i was not expecting to be there that long and you know there there was quite a bit of back and forth before i ended up in the hospital so um when i first saw my gp right when the radiologist said you need to see them immediately you know she said to me something's happening here i i don't know what it might be pneumonia so i'm going to give you a prescription to battle pneumonia and if you don't feel good in 3 to 4 days you need to go to emergency. So, you know, took the medication, didn't see any improvement and went to emergency. Um, I actually went to emergency four different times because every time that I went to emergency, just nobody could determine what was going on. I had this, this, you know, the shortness of breath. Um, they would always put me on oxygen and then my oxygen levels would rise. But, uh, just unfortunately I was sent home every single time. And at that time I had no quality of life. I was literally just in bed. Um, I remember needing to like hold onto the wall just to walk down my hallway um, to be able to, you know, get to the kitchen or like not even having energy to stand to have a shower. I remember just sitting in the bathtub. So I did end up seeing um, a specialist in the hospital who um, ordered a bronchoscopy I think is the correct terminology um where they put the fluids down into my lungs and then they were testing the fluids they were testing for everything um because I had been in Vegas there was actually some really like rare desert sand disease that can affect your lungs and I'm like I was just on the strip I wasn't out in the desert um but they you know they were doing their best obviously to try to figure out what was going on um and again, you know, my I would be good once I was on the oxygen and then I would come off the oxygen and my, my levels would drop again, um, but was sent home again after that. And I then had received a phone call from the specialist saying, OK, we have the results from your bronchoscopy. Can you come in? And I remember saying, like, I can't like I physically cannot get out of bed. And again, unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, they said, no, you have to come in. So. I am so grateful that I have a dear friend who's a nurse and she said, I'm going to take you to this appointment. We get to the appointment. Um, The news that they had for me was that nothing came back conclusive from the results. And there really wasn't a plan forward. And I remember the nurse saying, you know, she, that was the first advocate that I had in this where she said, like, look at her, she has zero quality of life Can we give her some sort of medication to try to, like, we got to do something. Um, And understandably, the specialist was hesitant, you know, not wanting to prescribe things if he didn't know exactly what it was. But when I was at his office, he took my oxygen level and I was at 85%. Um, And I don't know if your listeners know, but you're 96, 98, you, you know, those are the good numbers. Anything really lower than 95 is a concern and he said uh okay I'm calling an ambulance and the ambulance took me to the hospital and then that's where I was for six weeks so that's how I ended up in the hospital so it actually probably it probably took that was about at least three weeks of the first symptom and going through sort of the the medical process to actually get me to the hospital
0: right that that's crazy to hear I kind of I like I I cringed a little bit when the when you said that the doctor made you come in just to say that we don't know anything it's so it can be annoying how rigid the 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 policy standards are when they could have just told you on the phone we don't know what it is if you're still feeling this bad go back to emerge again and we'll try to figure this out but made you come in for for literally inconclusive results so yeah. a little annoying but i guess it, it it all kind of worked out as it as it went along so i guess my next question is what what was it like being in the hospital for that long and still trying to be the best mom that you could for your little five-year-old girl?
1: Oh, well, I wasn't doing a very good job at it, that's for sure, unfortunately. Um, You know, and I still get emotional about it. Um, At the time, like, I was separated from her dad. So, you know, in a sense, a single parent. However, he is an amazing co-parent, and I had such, such um, support from him. You know, but I think about those parents that don't have that type of of support. Um, so he would bring her to the hospital every two or three days, so I would be able to see her. But you know, I had no interaction with her on on a daily basis in terms of being you know that parent figure for her. And the thing that it that was so interesting was when I was first in the hospital, I would always invite her to get into the bed with me um, because I. I wasn't able to walk. I I didn't walk for a number of weeks. So I wasn't, you know, even able to get up and play with her. So I would invite her into the bed and she would just say, no, she's like, no, I don't want to get in, <laughs> in to the bed. And it like, it still makes me a little weepy right now. Um, and then the only, and throughout this time, it was like, well, when is mommy coming home? Well, we don't know. Right. We, we didn't have those timelines for her. And then Um, I know jumping ahead a little bit, but after I had had my surgery, I, I was then told, okay, you'll probably need about two or three weeks to recover before we send you home. And once we were able to say to her, like, you know, mommy's coming home in two weeks, that's when she started getting into bed with me. So it was like in her little mind, you know, she couldn't process that. I don't know what's happening with my mom. But once we were able to put that definite timeline on for her and she was like, oh, okay, mommy will be home, it was like she was then allowing herself to, you know, have that closeness with me. And like that's heartbreaking as as a parent. Um, but she enjoyed her trips to the hospital, you know. And then once I um once I started recovering and I was using my walker, she loved it because we would go on like you know, walker rides, and <laughs> she got a kick out of it. But um yeah, again, it goes back to I just think about all of the parents who don't have that type of support and are in similar health situations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that's incredibly interesting about how your daughter wouldn't get into bed. It, it kind of like tears at the heartstrings a little bit makes you makes you sad. But and and thinking about how you said how s- some parents don't have that kind of especially single parents don't have that support system. I'm thinking back to during COVID times when you physically weren't allowed in. So if if this was, say, five years later for yourself, and you weren't and, and your daughter was the same age, she wouldn't be able to see you for six weeks, that'd be incredibly difficult, and people had to go through that. So it, it puts everything into perspective a little bit COVID doesn't. But it's it's hard either way so i guess jumping forward now and we can certainly talk about your time in hospital how that went and the tests and the biopsy but you you mentioned in our pre-interview conversations that you were diagnosed with an i'm not sure if it's anca or anca vasculitis um so that you could actually be discharged from hospital uh was, was i guess i'm wondering if this was a relief at first and you also mentioned that three other lung specialists looked at your biopsy and nobody could agree on a diagnosis. So how frustrating was that?
1: You know, it's for somebody who likes to be in control of all of the time, uh, extremely frustrating. Um, Again, you know, I understand that, you know, doctors are humans though, and you're not going to necessarily have all of the answers. Um, But again, which is, it's really hard when, you're just dealing with the unknown, you know, they're like, how do you plan? There's, there's no way to plan if you don't actually know what you're dealing with. Um, so yeah, how we got there was um, I was admitted to the U of A hospital, um, spent a little bit of time there, but then the decision was to, to complete a lung biopsy. So then they sent me over to the Royal Alex and that's where they do their lung surgeries, I guess. Um so had a biopsy, they took um, two sections out of my left lung, of the upper and lower lung. Um, they were a couple of centimeters, you know, squared, so little chunks gone. Um, and that recovery was um, extremely painful. Uh, I, when I woke up, I actually had um, still like the, the chest drain coming out of, the side of me Um, and that was an interesting experience because when they removed it you had to not be breathing otherwise there was the chance of air getting pulled back in which could be really dangerous so I do have this vivid memory of going like practicing with the nurse of like holding my breath before they would like take this tube out Um, but the tube was long because it came out The side of my rib cage but it was like curved and would have come like all the way up um, to sort of like my sternum so you have to hold your breath for quite a while and then it was kind of like just like like this tube coming out of your chest it was like yeah just a very surreal experience um but to to do the incision um so they they had to have there was the incision for my chest tube and then there was an incision underneath my armpit and right underneath my breast and they have to cut through your abdominal wall um so the recovery from that I'm I'm actually still dealing with um complications from that surgery now seeing a physiotherapist um, because of that, so you know just the, the physical recovery of it was really hard. Um, so yeah, once we had the biopsy, um, they sent me back to the U of A. And yeah, three different uh, specialists look at it, looked at it, and as you mentioned, they, they couldn't come to a, a, an agreement, but what they thought was the closest was this anchovasculates, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks the teeny tiny blood vessels throughout your body. And what I learned was there does have to be some sort of official diagnosis for you to be discharged from the hospital. So they said, well, this is what we're going to put down. Um, this is how we're going to go forward with your treatment. Um, even though I don't know if that's really what this is. Um, so I was, you know, I was happy to be discharged I still remember very vividly that day it was like September my dad took me home Um, we stopped at the pharmacy first to get my meds Um, but like I said as as somebody who is a planner and I don't like saying control freak I think that has a negative connotation Um, but you know I maybe others have described me that way Um, it is hard to not have that Conclusiveness with what's going on with my body.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I I would say type A personality. That's, that's, that's the one I go for. Yeah. We're we're not control freaks or, or we're not anal about everything. We're just, we're just type A's. That's it. So, Yeah. So you mentioned it, uh, medication. So on the topic of medication, I'm just wondering what it was like for you specifically to be on prednisone and then Imran. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing those correctly, but, um, so, but knowing full well that you and your specialists actually knew nothing about your condition, they they may, may have had an idea, but was it confusing to be given medication, even though you didn't have an official quote unquote diagnosis?
1: Yeah, it was confusing, but you know, I didn't really have any other option, you know, and I was worsening. Like, as I said, I, I wasn't even able to walk and we were really at the point of like, let's try what, whatever to see what, what kind of results we can get. And, um, I remember a dear friend of mine at the time, um, is a great Google researcher. And, uh, when I told her like, Hey, they're, they're planning on putting me on prednisone, She did a lot of research and said, yeah, like this is, this is your only option. Um, so prednisone is a really, um, high, highly potent steroid that helps fight inflammation. So it's, they call it, you know, like a miracle drug. It, It really is. However, it has really significant negative side effects. Um, so one of them is calcium loss. So um, I actually did like a a bone density scan. They had me on that. And then I needed to be taking calcium at the same time to combat that. Um, It keeps you awake. I would be awake for about 18 hours a day. Like you, you can't turn yourself off. Um, You have an increased appetite, um, but it also consumes your muscle mass. So Previous to hitting the hospital, um, I actually was had been working with a trainer. I was doing heavy weightlifting about three or four times a week. It was definitely, you know, the strongest that I had ever been in my life. So not only was I going through these physical changes in terms of how this illness was affecting my body, but just, you know, the mental struggle of going from somebody who, you know, was... Previously lifting really heavy things. And now I'm in this position of where like I could see it. Like I was losing my muscle mass. Um there's also this condition, it's called moon face, where actually your face just puffs up um, to the point where actually I couldn't wear my glasses properly because my cheeks were so large that my glasses wouldn't fit on my face. So you're also again faced with this um it was really, it was really hard. And I don't like, I don't want it to sound vain, but the the idea of going out into public and you just physically, if somebody looks at you, they're like, something's different, something's going on with this person. Um, that was really hard too. So, um, how it worked with the prednisone is they, you know, they pumped it into me really high doses and then the idea is that they don't want to keep you on it for too long because of all these other negative side effects. So then they start slowly tapering. So I would be on a dose for a couple of months and then we would lower it. And then if we would start to see symptoms come back, then we would raise it or, or keep it at that dose. Um, and so then once we got to a lower level of the prednisone, then we layered on the Imuran. And the Imuran is more of a specific... Um, uh, like a suppressant, immune suppressant. So they use it a lot with um, kidney transplant plant patients so that your body isn't rejecting the new kidney. So layered the Imuran on um, and then was able to get completely off of the prednisone. And then the same thing with the Imuran, you're starting at a certain level, starting to taper it off. If you're getting um, symptoms, you know, put it back on, increase it. Um, So I am super happy to report that um, as of the spring of 2020, I actually was off all meds. So it took me five years, but I did it. Um, So I am technically in remission right now because I'm not on the only medication I'm on is my um, inhaler because now I have a lot of scar tissue in my lungs. So that's just something I'll have to be on forever. But from the autoimmune disease perspective, I'm I am in remission. So
0: amazing. That's really interesting. There's so many things to to kind of unpack there, just how you had to be on these two medications for five years, and they weren't sure if you had this vasculitis and, and muscle density decrease i i can certainly sympathize with that and that i used to work out all the time and now school takes away all of it so you lose muscle faster than you gain it i think that's the that's mm-hmm. the kind of commonly um accepted i guess phrase if you want to say it but yeah, yeah it, it's not fun but so sort of Changing gears a little bit here from medication to specialists, you mentioned that you also saw a number of different specialists, including a rheumatologist, a kidney specialist to help, I guess, maybe with the Imran and obviously your lung specialist. So was it overwhelming to see all these different specialists, or did it help to think that you were hopefully inching closer to an actual diagnosis throughout these five years of well, you didn't know the end date at the beginning, but right. did, did it kind of help in the back of your mind to think that maybe you were getting somewhere.
1: Yeah, I would say it was a bit of both because definitely it's overwhelming because your life becomes so consumed by your illness. So, I would be seeing the the specialists at the beginning. I was seeing them, I think it was actually weekly that I was seeing them. So, also doing weekly blood work. So, I would do my weekly blood work see my rheumatologist. So that's the specialist specifically for the autoimmune disease. Then I would see my lung specialist where I would always do like the lung function test. Um, And then, yeah, I had to see the kidney specialist because my blood work was showing that my kidneys were starting to fail again, connected to this autoimmune disease where it's affecting your tiny blood vessels. So, Your life is just going to see specialists and going and getting blood work, um, which, yeah, can just be really draining just from a time perspective, but from, you know, a mental health perspective. However, I really felt very supported by all of those specialists. And I think I would have felt worse if I was just sort of like discharged and it was like, okay, good luck. And, uh, so I definitely felt that I had the support from all of those specialists and I wouldn't change it. I'm, um, it, it actually, I, the last appointment that I had with my rheumatologist was just earlier this spring. And that's when she said, okay, like you've been stable now for a couple of years. I I think it's time for for us not to see each other anymore. And I was just like, what? No, like I I need you. Like this is a part of my life. And it was this really bittersweet moment where she's like, of course, call me if if anything changes, but um, it just becomes such a part of who you are that this, you know, breakup that I had with my rheumatologist was, was hard from a mental perspective too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess kind of an ad lib question that I'm wondering, you mentioned the time constraint and obviously seeing all these different people. So did you have to kind of completely alter your life from maybe hobbies and spending time with your daughter and anything else to health comes first all the time, or were you able to find a healthy balance or how did that work?
1: Yeah, you know, I, uh, besides doing the, the heavy weightlifting, um, I'm also involved in dance and community theater. So when I first got sick, it was actually right before a show. So I, again, I have a very vivid memory of one of the times that I was discharged from emergency. I was sitting on a bench talking to the founder of, of this dance group saying, I am not going to be able to be in this show. And again, you know, just all of the, the grief that goes along with that too. So coming out of the hospital, you know, looking back, I I kind of do wonder um, was this my body's way of saying like, Hey, we've been trying to give you some, some uh, little red flags here and there that it's time for you to slow down. Right you work full-time, full-time parent, you have these other hobbies, you know, you're social with your friends, maybe it's time to slow down. And I wasn't listening. So my body is like, well, we're going to make you listen. Um, so I feel like coming out of it, it definitely, you know, used this term before like perspective. It really helped with my perspective of things. It really helped with my gratitude. Um, and I did have to to learn how to say no better because I was just so worried that if I allowed myself to get back into this pattern of doing everything, um, that it would be really negatively affecting my health and perhaps you know, push me out of remission. so
0: yeah absolutely that's obviously super important to know to know your limits always and and i find that with anything in life if you're just overwhelmed whether it's for health reasons or if you're overwhelmed and you're taking on too much i i know that i i think i might be too good at saying no and i kind of hermit but that's just my personality anyways so yeah and and so earlier you mentioned the side effects of the medication and my next question revolves around that but you did we kind of touched on all of them i feel like a little bit so i'm going to switch up the question a little bit into what for you was the hardest side effect. Was it the, the muscle loss? Was it maybe the start of kidney failure, the moon face? What, what was the hardest for you out of all of it? I know that that's, it's like not a great question. It's kind of a Debbie downer, but I, I'm curious. No.
1: <laughs> no, it's, that is a good, that's a tough one because every side effect, you know, ha- obviously impacted me in a different way. Um, but you know what? It's interesting because at first I was my, my first thought was, oh, it was definitely the muscle loss. It was feeling like all of this hard work that I had put in literally for years was just gone. And how do I, where do I even start to rebuild this? But I think it might have actually been the the issues with the kidneys because um, because I was starting to have the kidney failure. And again, we weren't sure what was happening there. Um, I was looking into my health insurance in terms of benefits for what happens if if my kidneys fail. And I remember being in Home Depot and getting the phone call from the healthcare provider and like the the benefits, the insurance and saying, no, I'm sorry, this this wouldn't be covered um, because it's connected to this other condition that you have. And I just remember thinking like, holy F like now what if, and so I'm so blessed and um, thankful that the medication was helping and I didn't get into a full kidney failure um, situation, but that moment of just like, Oh my gosh, like now, like now what? Like another thing, you know, like I'm going through all of this and now there's this potential of not having this coverage. Like, that was really hard um to accept yeah
0: for sure yeah finances always make it so much worse because they make you worried first of all and then when you're worried and stressed that makes your health condition worse so it's it's a gross cycle of just adding on and making the condition worse when it really shouldn't be but i guess that's kind of the world we live in nowadays yeah. you have to have great health insurance or you it you might be stressed beyond belief so We have I guess we have to just keep pushing for for better health insurance coverage across Canada, even though we do have a great healthcare system, but it needs to be better. Everything could always be better. But yeah, so kind of switching uh, gears here again from something negative from side effects to to recovery. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, along with battling all those symptoms what was your recovery like throughout those five years? And I guess, what is it like now being in remission and you just have the inhaler? So what was recovery like throughout throughout those stages?
1: Um, well, I would say that my recovery really began when I was still in the hospital after I'd had my surgery. And like, I was itching to be mobile and actually like lifting weights. And I remember the nurses saying like, Cause I would be saying like, when can I do this? When can I start trying to walk? When can I start trying to lift weights? And uh, the nurses are like, we don't get these questions. Like this is not normal people. Um, but they were really supportive about it. And I, there was a, um, I guess I, I can't remember if it would have been like an occupational therapist that might've been the correct term that would come and see me. And she did, she did. She brought me like the little, like the little hand weights and i actually have a video that i took of me because um you know like the the senior citizen workouts where you're sitting in the chair and you see like that was me where i i didn't have the strength to be standing but i was just like sitting in a chair i had these little tiny hand weights and i was just working them and like you know just like lifting my legs lifting my knees and uh my friends got like a really good kick out of it but i knew that the physical recovery would impact me positively from a mental health perspective recovery. Um, Now, that being said, you know, I will say I've, um, you know, I'm back going to the gym now, but it was not like it was before. Um, It was really hard for me to start becoming active again because I would constantly compare myself to how I was pre-illness, and just getting over that mental hurdle of just accepting, like this is who I am now, was really, really difficult. Um, but I've it took me a bit, but I've you know accepted, like this is my life now, right? Like this this is uh, this is how it is. And now I would say, yeah i uh, I mentioned that I still have some complications from the surgery. But I would say my my recovery, again, it was physically painful just from the lung surgery itself and all those mental hurdles to to work through. And and it was long like it's we're in, what, seven years now and I'm I'm still dealing with with complications from the surgery. Um, So I know that it'll just always be a part of me definitely through COVID and being immunocompromised, you know, that's always going to be um, something that I have to be aware of. And uh, yeah, I guess that's just what comes to mind when I think about my recovery.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think something that like the general concept, not concept, but thought that comes to my head after almost every one of these questions is just how incredibly interesting it is that you were like down and out and like doing these senior citizen workouts when you didn't have a diagnosis like I understand if someone has small symptoms whether like they have a rash or something and it can't be figured out but when this was so debilitating and for you not to have a definitive answer yeah it, it kind of feels like they should almost name this new lung disease for
1: you. <laughs> oh okay I totally need to tell my specialist that oh well you know what I think it's um okay so I think that was like, we've talked about it. That was really hard to not have this definite diagnosis. And early after being discharged, um, I found a specialist based out of Vancouver where I sent all my records to, to them. I actually was compiling my records and was in touch with the Mayo Clinic in the United States because I did, I, I had this urgency to Actually, understand what was going on with me, um, but I, you know, I used that word before, like consume, where I my life was consumed seeing specialists. It was consumed focusing on my health, and I realized that I was beginning to let my illness define me. Like I wasn't just Kirsten; I was Kirsten with this weird diagnosis that isn't a diagnosis, weird lung disease and i remember actually making the decision of like you have to stop you actually have to stop this journey of um of trying to figure out what it is you know i think looking back i probably would have felt different if we weren't seeing positive results from you know the medications and the treatments that i was on but because we were seeing positive results and i was becoming healthier Uh, I did have to stop that quest to find out, like, what is the truth in terms Mm -hmm. of my illness. And I actually remember there was a time, so this, it was, a, I think it was around Christmas time, where I was with a number of my friends and they had said, like, okay, like, we're going to rent this minivan and go to the Mayo Clinic. We're going to go on this road trip with you. And I remember saying, like, no, I I don't want to do that anymore. And I think it was, almost harder for them than for me to say like, no, I'm, I'm not giving this the energy in anymore because, you know, when you're a friend or a family member of somebody who's going through something like this, you can feel really helpless. Right. And they're, you know, they're thinking, well, we can support her in this journey of, of trying to figure out more details on her diagnosis you know, if I, I took that away from them, in essence, um, and then they're kind of left with, well, now what can we do? Like, how, how can we support her as a friend? Um, but right now, like, I have come to accept that I, I don't know exactly what it is or was. And, you know, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for each day that I don't have symptoms. And I've just, you know, told myself, if and when things change, well, then we'll deal with it then.
0: For sure. That's incredibly interesting. and I think both sides of the spectrum are incredibly hard to hard to get to for what I'm referencing is a previous guest on on the show completely defines his life by his cystic fibrosis. And that's because he has uh, a podcast about health and that's his living and he loves it and he, he defines it on his own terms is what he says. But I think just uh, just as equally courageous as being able to completely completely stop yourself from defining yourself. As your disease, so both sides harbor in- incredible uh, bravery and courage. So I-, I commend you for that, certainly. But before kind of ending today's episode, I'd-, I'd certainly like to play a word game if we can before oh! before we end. It's just a really quick one. So <laughs> throughout this entire journey, I'm just wondering what what one word you would use to describe your experience was and if it was anger or maybe being unknown, afraid, annoyed, or maybe on the flip side, something that I just mentioned, like courageous or bravery or learning. I don't, I'll let you, I'll let you answer that.
1: Oh, one word. Um,
0: Yeah. One word. We're not going more. I'm I'm holding you to it.
1: (laughs) Perspective.
0: That's a great word. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do I get to elaborate? Yes, yes. You, you can,
0: sir, <laughs> sir, I'm not leaving you. can say the one word and then you have, you have to give the backstory, for, of course. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Um, so I, you know, the, the majority of the time that I spent in the hospital, I was on like the pulmonary care unit. And I remember people coming to visit me. And I did have a positive attitude throughout all of it. Like definitely I had my moments. Um, but I remember a number of people saying like, how are you, how are you so okay with this? Like, how are, how are you so at least outwardly, mentally um, being so positive about this? And I would share, I would, you know, once I was able to be mobile again, and I would go on my little walks with my walker, I'm like, there are people two doors down from me that are completely, I think is the term incubated. Like they, they have the, the machines to be helping them breathe. Right, completely immobile, and I never had that. I was only ever just on oxygen, um, and I'm like, there's. So that's for me. It's it's the perspective. Like, yeah, what I went through really effing sucked. Like, I would not wish it on anybody. But that being able to to see, like, it's others are are going through even more significant challenges than I did. Um, And then even, you know, that was that that one sort of aha moment for me from a perspective while in the hospital. And then, you know, I'm I'm not sneaking in a second word, but you did say anger. Um, And I remember coming out of the hospital and, you know, I would see people on on Facebook saying like, Oh, I I I have the worst head cold. And you know, and I just like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, come on. But that was a really humbling for me because it was able to remind me that that's their perspective and that's their own lived experience. And if they haven't been through a health scare such as I had having a really bad head cold, that might be the worst thing that they've experienced um, health-wise. And how can you hold that against somebody if if they haven't had that own experience? So that's my word. That's my perspective.
0: Yeah, no, that's an incredible word. And uh, along those lines, I certainly don't want to... Put a saying on to you that that you that is what I believe. But I I think personally what I've been trying to live by lately is not worrying about something that you can't control. And obviously, if they don't have a diagnosis, there's no way they can control that. So that's that's something that I've been trying to live by lately. A little statement. So in wrapping everything up, I'm I I've loved our conversation. I don't want to end, but we have to keep it. Below an hour for these weird podcast rules. People won't click if it's above an hour. A show. Oh, okay. I don't even. It's so annoying.
1: I should have just talked faster. <laughs>
0: no, it's all good. Um, so, in wrapping everything up, I'm I'm wondering if you can give our listeners one piece of advice that you that you would give f- for anyone with a lung disease, really anything, uh, any kind of health problem, in being their own health advocate in a system that can sometimes be certainly overbearing.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say, get yourself a folder and get yourself a notebook and you need to start tracking everything. Um, so what I learned was, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to speak ill about our healthcare system. I wouldn't be like, I truthfully, I wouldn't be here with you today. If if we didn't have the, the healthcare system that we do have here. Um, but that being said, you know, it's overburdened and there isn't enough funding and all of those things and unfortunately we can't expect the healthcare providers to be those handholders for us i think maybe sometimes we naively think that they should be um but they just don't have the resources to do that so i i do i have this big folder i have a notebook and like every single time that i met with a um a specialist or a doctor or even like nurses were coming in, I was writing everything down, everything that they were saying, thinking of questions, writing down the questions. Um, and it's a really good way for you to be, because that's, there's so much information coming at you. It's a lot of terminology that you're probably not familiar with. So a way to capture all of that, as well as then have that reference to go back to it. Because again, if, if you have multiple healthcare providers, again, they're they're human there's there's going to be potential miscommunications and if you if you have that content yourself it'll make things a lot easier for you too um i still remember the very last night that i was in the hospital unfortunately they moved me the i knew i was being discharged the next day but they they moved me to a different room they they needed the bed in our unit um and the next day when I was being discharged, I had my list of questions that I was asking before, before they released me. And the woman that I was sharing the room with afterwards, when she left, she just said, how did you know to, to ask those questions? And, you know, I shared with her, you know, I've been tracking all of this. I've, I'm you know just thinking of all of the possibilities. And she's like, yeah, I got to start doing that. Because, again, like I said, I think we unfortunately have this naive understanding that you go to the hospital and everything's just going to be taken care of for you. Um, And that's just not the case. And I'm not saying anything ill towards any of our healthcare providers. It's just the system that they're in. They are so overburdened. They don't have the capacity. Um, So that would be my piece of advice. And, you know, if you're a person who struggles with, you know, taking notes or having things um, documented, ask a friend or a family member to come to your appointments to be that, that documenter for you um, and help you navigate the system because it's not always the most user friendly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's actually incredible advice. I feel like it's tangible. Most, I, I feel like that question can be so easily over overlooked and say, Oh, just speak up. Like, make, make yourself known, that kind of thing. But I, I know I would never have thought to do that if, and and I guess I'm lucky that I've never had significant health issues in my life, but certainly if I do, I will definitely take that into perspective because yeah, like you said, there's, well, even in your case, how you were seeing multiple different specialists, there's, there's kind of almost no way, obviously there's, there's a central database for um, medical, uh, your medical history, but that some of that might just be lost in translation for whatever reason and you're the only one that knows your personal health history so that's that's really incredible advice and i i will certainly use it whenever i need to whether it's friends family or myself so yeah that thank you for that so i would like to personally thank you kirsten for being our guest on the unsung lung podcast today and thank you for sharing your experiences as well as your hardships and your recovery and i definitely know that your wisdom and advice will help at least one person and i can say that because it's helped me with that little last piece of advice so 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 thank you for that
1: oh you're very welcome thank you for having me and yeah it's uh i enjoy talking about it um i wish i didn't have to talk about it but i appreciate the opportunity to share so thank you
0: of course uh, i think this is a very unique situation in that you don't know what you have we can we can talk all day to people who know what they have whether it's copd or cystic fibrosis and and see their kind of journey but it's not every day you get to talk to someone who has something that's undiagnosed so yeah it was really it was really interesting to get to know that and and thank you for being on so i guess with that i'll just send us right through to the outro what an incredible interview with Kirsten. I feel so lucky to be able to share her story with all of our listeners, and I am insanely grateful for her for being vulnerable with us and giving us a glimpse into her lung health history. So, as always, I'll just touch on my concluding thoughts for the show. The first being the extreme symptoms early on and and Kirsten not having enough energy to stand and she couldn't physically get out of bed... To hear the results of her tests, and I just thought that was absolutely incredible for for someone to have symptoms of that magnitude, but not be able to to establish a firm result on any kind of lung biopsy or or any test that she took ever. They 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 had um, some ideas about what it could have been, but nothing definitive. And just to be that down and out was was really incredible, and and something just to to really take into perspective and in, into how we have to always be careful with our health and never take anything lightly, certainly. My second concluding point is just on the importance of family in battling health problems. Things that Kirsten mentioned, like the importance of co-parenting and having her daughter in the hospital with her are just really amazing. And they truly speak to things that can help along with the recovery process. And uh, in, in something that rather... Pulls at the heartstrings a bit that Kirsten mentioned in her daughter not wanting to get into the bed with her and I can certainly sympathize with that you you never want to see your parents your your mom your best friend in a condition like that Um, but then it turns around to things when when Kirsten was getting better like uh, having her daughter on walker rides I thought that was super cute Um, and that actually goes back walker rides goes back to the first point of the extreme symptoms early on just how she actually had to use a walker is kind of crazy to think of, considering they had no idea what she had, but throughout all those extreme symptoms, you had family, she had family, and I think that was obviously very important for her. I can't speak for her, but I can only imagine how important that was um, for her in the process. My third and final point is just on the finances of healthcare, and obviously we've touched on this a lot on this show. Um, especially in regards to breathing space and how expensive it is for lung transplants, uh, things like that, uh, things of that nature. And we'll certainly be touching on that in the next episode of the Unsung Lung podcast, but I won't give away too much. So, just back to this uh, episode of the show, I think back to how Kirsten mentioned that her healthcare insurance called her and said that if she actually had full on kidney failure, the medications needed for that would not be covered. And just how terrifying that would be um, it, it, it exacerbates i mentioned in, in in the interview itself it exacerbates and it, it creates kind of a a gross cycle of stress leads to the health problems health problems leads to more stress and it's just a horrible cycle so as i always mention our healthcare system is amazing in canada it truly is but it is certainly not free we can't lose sight of that and i'm not <laughs> i'm not um saying anything new here everyone knows that it's just important to remember that sometimes um, it, it, when when people are, are more well off they they don't see that part of the healthcare care system um, and, and it's really important to remember that people are struggling every day and health care is just another thing that can be costly in addition to food and housing and everything like that so we just have to keep an open perspective and And keep our eyes open to those who need, um, especially obviously coming from a charity background in Alberta Lung, who uh, is the backer of this podcast. We have to keep that in mind always. So in bringing everything to a close, I feel like although there were certainly positives on today's show, like Kirsten's recovery and the amazing tips that she gave us for being our own health advocates, there were certainly a lot of negatives as well. And that just comes along with any disease process. There's ups and downs, but if we're not able to talk about those downs, we can't make the system better and inform those who can make tangible changes to do so. All this is to say is that if you are struggling with illness of any kind and you're struggling alone, reach out to someone. Whether that's a family member, a friend, even a professional like a counselor, you may feel alone, but I promise you there will be at least one person out there who will see your struggle and help to guide you to a better and healthier you, hopefully one day into the future. So thank you for listening to our episode today, and I hope you tune into the next episode of the Unsung Lung Podcast. It's listeners like you that help us keep going. With no downloads, this show wouldn't be possible. So keep spreading our show's message with friends and family because the more we're able to spread the show and the more listeners we have, the more potential we have to help someone struggling with lung disease. Okay, well, that just about wraps things up for this edition of the Unsung Lung Podcast. And before we close, I'll end with our motto, just remember to breathe.